Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. This week's podcast features Sonoma Vintner and guy who actually did something with his midlife crisis, Nate Miles. His Groove Wines are organic, sustainably sourced, and canned, and will change your views on canned wines. Join us as we make mindlessly easy snacks for effortless entertaining, because you know what? We vaccinated types can finally start gathering in person. Also, we discuss the differences between wine snobs and wine geeks, and talk about the challenges faced by California wine country during wildfire season. Trigger warning, it's a delightful hour, but some frank discussion about dog hair and food that is not for the squeamish. Hello there, and welcome to the first ever live video, The Secret Life of Cookies. Those of you who might be sitting there, I don't know, walking the dog, driving in your car, listening to this as a podcast, may not know that right now, we are actually doing a live video to go along with this. We are, um, I am here with Nate Miles. He is live from Sonoma County, California, while I am here in New Jersey, where it is pouring with rain. And we are about to um, make a whole selection of different delicious um, treats for summer entertaining because God damn it, we can entertain. Uh, welcome, Nate Miles, we to the Secret it. Life of Cooking. <laughs> we can do it. Welcome. Um, so for those Thanks of you for who are, thank you so much. We, uh, for those of you who are sitting at home um, wondering, could I actually watch these people cook? Yes, you can. And we will post this video um, up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all manner of outlets in, uh, for social media. So you can watch both me and Nate Miles and possibly our dogs and maybe even my cat who really is tempted to crawl up here on the counter, um, make some nice treats. So Nate, you are a um, currently a, what I would call a vintner, um, cre creating a for Groove Wines, canned wines, she said with a question in her voice. Um, I don't want to start out on a negative, but I think some people are like, eh, canned wines. And I think you're here to sort of set the record straight as we head out from COVID to the outdoors to see with all our friends, you're saying I should be taking canned wine with me because it's new and delicious, especially this. Especially that. Yes. Yes. Um, I, mean, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to tell you what to do. So I might make, I might suggest that you do something like that, but, uh, but, uh, but no, that's a fair question. Um, uh, alternative packaging and wine, you know, whether it's cans or boxes, um, you know, has a bit of a, um, I don't know if sorted is the right word, but a, but a, a low quality history. I like so, sorted. Yeah, it makes it a little bit mysterious <laughs> and interesting, right? Like maybe it's something yeah. cool other than just sit down yeah. and taste good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, we're very op open and honest about that. Um, you know, people, you know, their experience is, is what it is. And, um, you know, people who have had typically in the past, it's been lower quality, lower priced wine that gets put in these packages. And so that's what people know. That's what they remember. And so, um, but we're hoping to be a part of a, you know, a handful of producers that are changing that, um, you know, cause it really is pretty simple. Um, you put, not so good stuff and 
you know, whether it's a can or a bottle or a box or, you know, whatever. And it's not so good stuff when it, when it comes out. And, you know, I'm a wine geek and not much of a salesperson. So, you know, uh, so I don't have a lot of interest in uh, putting low quality stuff in, in, in a can and telling people it's good. Um, so what we're trying to do is make, you know, really delicious um, California wine from organic and sustainable vineyards and, um, you know, make it within reach of, of, you know, the average, you know, person um, in terms of price. So at the end of the day, I think that people will look at us as a canned wine company initially, but what we're really trying to do is make, you know, the best $20 California wine on the shelf. And it just so happens that, you know, these will be in cans. Right. I mean, wine, people who call themselves wine snobs, which is a, um, a special class of people. And, and I'm sorry if they're out there listening to this, but I'm not, not a big fan. I think you should drink wine that tastes good. Um, but th there are wine snobs out there who are still getting used to screw top bottles of wine, right? So yeah. um, I think you put it really well in saying people used to put bad wine in, now you're putting great wine in. Um, so the three types you have, and we're going to be making snacks today to go along with it, are a rosé, a pinot noir, beautiful packaging, by the way, and oh, a Sauvignon Blanc. So I really, I have to say, I really look forward to tasting them. So we should get down to making something, shouldn't we? All right, let's do it. What do you want to start with? You have come up with, so the, I think the idea for all of this is that we have been all cooped up, apparently drinking only um, tequila, rosé, and champagne, because apparently those were the largest increase in sales in alcohol over the past uh, COVID year. And um, we're finally getting to, have you been together with friends yet? Have you gotten together with some vaccinated yeah. friends? Yeah. Um, so our peer group, um, you know, we're sort of typical in the sense that our peer group out here is often like our kids, their friends, parents. Yep. So most everyone that we run around with now, everyone's vaccinated. Um, so yeah, just, we just got back from camping and uh, like right on the Mendocino, Sonoma, border where the Gualala River flows into the Pacific and oh. so had a big hang um, with with folks and anyway yeah we're, we're, we're getting back out there and um, it's weird it's like I need occupational therapy like how to be a social creature again I, <laughs> you know and like are we shaking hands are we not shaking hands like what's the I've, I've become know. this like I, I'm kind of introverted but I've become like a huge hugger since I'm able since I haven't been able to I'm like throwing myself at people's husbands, I guess. That so doesn't sound, that doesn't. Like making <laughs> eye contact and like sort of like trying to read them first and. <laughs> Forget it. I'm, a, I'm all for the hug. I don't care if they want it or not. Assuming they're vaccinated, I'm hugging anybody. Nice. Um, and I that didn't mean common. that thing about going after my friend's husbands. I'm just kidding. I hug the wives too. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I do like to know the person I'm hugging. Um, so anyway, we are here to um, make some easy peasy snacks that go with maybe like the easiest way to drink wine, which is your wine. And um, you, um, I feel like we're going very sort of like California summertime here. I, I think the first one I would like to start with is this delicious, actually not so California, very French, the Riette, as we say in France, the Riette. Okay, and so we can call, Riette? Yeah. 
Um, okay. Is it okay if I open some wine or is it too early? I, mean, I think we should. Uh, the, here, so I'm a little, I'm a little behind. Um, I grew up with the Galloping Gourmet, which I was very young when I watched him, but he drank wine and cooked, so I don't see why I shouldn't. Yeah, my boy Jacques Pepin always did that. So, all right, <laughs> here's to Jacques. What am I opening? So, so actually, do you have the Chardonnay? I'm going to crack open the Chardonnay. Unless, um, if you have the Sauvignon Blanc, we can do that too. I'm going to do the Sauvignon Blanc. That's what I'm going to do okay, right let's here. Do it. That's nice. Oh, it smells good right out of the can, if you know what I mean. That doesn't sound nice, but it pours beautifully. I've got this lovely, um, a lovely pour, beautiful color. Um, uh, would we call this a sort of light straw? I don't know. What do I call this? I'm going to call, call it whatever it you want to call it. That's, that's, that's part of our thing at Groove is um, we're not really interested in telling people how to uh, talk about wine or how to drink wine or, right. um, you know, there's no rules. So we just want you to drink stuff that you like and be happy with it. So you want to call well, it straw? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to drink this delightful smelling wine. Cheers. Uh, welcome. Thank you for coming. Mm. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm. Okay. Uh, so far, things are going really well here. I've had a sip of wine and not a drop of food to eat. All right. So, so, far, so good. This, these rillettes are, I know, to be something that in France, they're often made with pork. It's basically like pork and a lot of fat um, that makes a delicious creamy spread. Um, it's another one of these ingenious uses that the French have for um, perhaps leftovers. <laughs> if you have leftover yep. fish, if you have smoked fish. Um, I'm here with some smoked trout. And what are you, <laughs> we're gonna be making a spread out of it. That's what a rillette is. What are you using? Yeah, yeah. Tell us. So, so I just um, went to my local Whole Foods, and you know, part, you know, all these dishes that we're going to make, we're trying to make something delicious, but that's low maintenance, um, and allows you to like put out some delicious food and not do a lot of work, so you can actually hang out with your guests. Mm -hmm. So I went to my local Whole Foods, and I just bought a packaged uh, pre-smoked fish. It's white fish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can use salmon. You could use, you know, East Coast folks. If you see bluefish at your, you know, smoke bluefish at your fishmonger, like that's amazing. Mm. Um, but honestly, like, you know, whatever, whatever sort of fit, or if you have leftover baked fish, I mean, it's sort of, like you said, it's the origins are very humble and trying to use everything and, and make it delicious. So um, I actually think answer. that I bought white. No, fish. no. That is, that is, a, oh, thanks. Um, no, that's a great answer because I think it also serves the point um, that a lot of the best French food to me is the stuff that your average French person would eat, right? You know, there's another dish that I like to make in the winter that uses up all, the, that I learned from Jacques Pepin that uses up all the scraps of cheese, the weird cheese ends that you have. And you puree that in your like food processor with, and I mean, everything from soft to hard to stinky to whatever, cheese, a little bit of garlic and some white wine, if it's the bin end of the white wine or whatever, and puree that up yep. and then you bake it and it turns into this like, I don't know, if I could bathe in cheese, that is the pool of cheese I would bathe in. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I, still, I still save all my Parmesan uh, rinds in a, in a Ziploc because uh, I watched Lydia Bastianich make Ribolita and you throw the Parmesan rinds in there and to just help flavor, you know, the soup and Ribolita is like a, you know, a peasant soup. It's like a kitchen sink. Um, 
sort of creation. Uh, she she's a, a wonderful person, and uh, wouldn't it be nice if she could all cook first? I interviewed her once. One of the nicest, most generous people I've ever met or in, like talked to. Next to you, I don't mean to belittle you. Um, tell me. All right, that's I'm one. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, yeah. So so anyway, so this is you know this is meant to be super easy. Um, you know, you can buy the fish, so no having to cook it up or sink up your kitchen. So, you know, like you said, it's a barilla, it's basically just a spread with mm -hmm. a lot of, of fat. So pork, you would you would use pork fat, but with the, the fish, we just kind of create our own. Mm -hmm. So you want to take a little bit of butter. Half a stick. And, <laughs> yeah, so I've, <laughs> that's not a personal <laughs> preference. Um, and a little bit of olive oil. Mm, lots of fat. So anybody who's watching this at home is going, but 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 I don't know how to eyeball it. And really, this is a case of you can eyeball this. You're not yeah. going to go too wrong, right? I'm but just yeah, reaching. The only, thing for I, the only thing to look out for here is um, with the butter. You do want to try to get it pretty smoothed out, so there aren't big chunks of only butter in the riette. Um, so you want to bring it up to room temperature ahead of time. That's really the only. I don't know, because if you don't, you know, if it, if it ends up being a little bit dry, then just add some more olive oil. Um, right, instead of adding butter, too, because then you're never going to smoosh it up. I added my, um, I took my butter out sometime this morning. And I think also people need to realize that you can take butter out in it way in advance than you might think you could. It's going to be just fine on your counter. I, my in-laws never refrigerate butter, ever. They're 93 years old. So either they're creating a fantastic microbiome for themselves that can handle anything or probably just okay. Well, if they're 93 years old, they must be doing something right. Right, and so maybe that's having lots of butter at room temperature is the trick. So what else is what else goes into this? I've got some mashed butter here. Yeah, so um, chives. Chives, so I could snip some chives in. So it's sort of yeah, chives to up, taste. Dice up a little chive. And if you I'm don't using, have chives, yeah, what else I don't see anything use? wrong with using the green end of a scallion. Oh, you know, sure. You're just looking for a little bit of that fresh sort of green oniony flavor. Mm -hmm. It smells really nice with the smoked fish. It's a nice contrast to the smoked fish. I'm using one of my favorite kitchen implements, oh, along with my kitchen scissors that I buy for $5.99 at the Korean ah. uh, supermarkets near me. You know who's a big pro scissors? They're way underutilized in the kitchen guy is David Chang. He cuts what? everything with, with, with scissors. There you go. See, I mean, me, David Chang, it's like, it's hard to separate us really um, to tell the difference. <laughs> when do I get to add um, the fish? What else am I adding? So I have. Okay, so now like a little bit of the so lemon, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do get extra credit. I'm just gonna grate a little bit of, of the lemon and the peel into the, our butter Anybody, concoction here. I had a feeling he might do this, which is why I brought my other favorite implement, my zester. So I think it adds a really nice uh, brightness to it, even though you're going to yep. add some lemon juice too. And how many um, lemon seeds do you like to add to this? <laughs> Those are little I, surprises, you know, for, uh, right. giveaway prizes. A prize if everyone gets lemon seeds. Yeah, it's. Like on um, they have with the um, on a Three Kings night where you um, Three Kings Day where they make a special cake 
the Galette du Roi, and inside they hide a little bean or a little infant Jesus out of plastic, and the person who gets that wins the prize or wins a good wish for, yeah, for yeah. the year. So, like, I think I'll make that a rule in my house with lemon seeds. Though I probably should make it, I don't want to gross anybody out, but with dog hair, because um, I have an extraordinarily hairy dog sitting right here. I think like a cartoon expelling hair here and there. So um, you do some good mashing. I'm going to take another sip of this delightful Sauvignon Blanc just to make sure it's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're the royal taster today. So. I am. I am the royal. They've all, many people have referred to me as a princess. Um, so <laughs> how, how do you, like, how do you come up with, how, did, how long did it take you? Like, what possessed you? Let's start back there. What, why did you think, did you wake up one morning and go, you know, canned wine that's really what i'd like to get into what were you doing before it and how did you get to this what was i doing before it so yeah so this is my sort of uh second career i guess so the, the beginning might have been like a, a mini midlife crisis if i'm being honest so um yeah my my old life i was in um the financial world i uh, i traded um commodities so I was in New York for 10 years, and then prior to moving to California, we were in Houston for, uh, for about nine years. Um, but during that time, I became a giant uh, food and wine nerd, and some would say snob, uh, probably. Um, <laughs> you know, so over time, I just found myself um, studying wine and food much more than uh, what, you know, my nine to five was. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to this point where it was, you know, do I, uh, you know, do I follow what's clearly becoming, you know, my, my passion or do I continue on to uh, watch my soul sort of wither away uh, working, working for the man? Um, so um, which one did you choose? Which one did you yeah. choose? <laughs> yeah. So in, uh, in uh, 2017, yeah, 2017, I worked my first harvest uh, in Berkeley at an urban winery, a donkey and goat. Um, and but the decision, you know, was made before that with my, my wife, Karen, that, you know, this was, you know, she, she grew up in California and she's wanted to move back uh, to West mm -hmm. Coast um, for quite some time. And, you know, we're not getting any younger, so it sort of fit, the, you know, our life arc to come back this direction. So, um, so yeah, so it started with getting into wine, the, the can front. So all I'm doing now is I'm just going to take this fish and just crumble it up with my fingers. Mm -hmm. So you know, it started with, with, you know, wine, but I've been thinking about the can thing for a few years. Um, you know, it's not going to be a, a super sexy answer, but really it's just about utility or usefulness to the, you know, to the drinker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it, you know, wine comes in kind of a one size fits all container, right? And it's, that's, you know, we're, we're used to that. I don't, I don't think any of us are staying up late, you know, thinking about this big problem we have with wine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, what if, what, you know, what if beer only came in large format bottles or what if, you know, what if everything we bought, you know, it was just one size. Um, That's a really good know, point. Layer... We don't buy flagons of beer and, you know, or we don't buy like barrels of beer for home consumption. Not, and not since about the 17th century, probably, or, you know. Yeah. I mean, like large format beers are like, they're fun, but they're, they're more of a novelty. And, 
you know, if you if you put beer in 750 milliliter bottles, it'd be it'd be pretty inconvenient. But we just, you know, we live with that because that's our that's our everyone's mental model of wine, and that's what we're comfortable and used to doing. Um, but anyway, you know, you layer on top of that sort of this generational change that is happening, and um, you know, much ink has been spilled that the wine business is having trouble communicating with with the younger generations as are, you know just the messaging and tone and things like that and uh what, what know, do you think, think it is so it is it do people think of it as like snobby and a feat or is it some other it's it's something that their grandparents drink what 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 is the issue it's probably a little bit of everything i mean i think everyone tries to you know conversations and often are sort of boiled down to black and white when they really are there's a lot of gray in there um but you know there is a i think a historical pretentiousness around wine i think a lot of that's going away now and, and you know the the younger generation of sommeliers and and producers are you know aren't carrying that on um right. but i you know i've been you know drinking wine for a couple decades and like outside of the wine bubble just with you know civilians regular people that you know they may they may like to drink wine but they don't necessarily feel the need to um um make it a big deal so anyway yeah. I, you know i've been really passionate about it and i like to introduce people to stuff that i find that's just really delicious and you know i've just found that um there's just there can be there can often be an uptightness is that a word um sure that people feel around wine that they don't feel around other other beverages for example like i mean just think of it like when someone goes to a when we used to go to bars or restaurants they get the cocktail list and like everyone's kind of jazzed about oh that sounds good and it's this right. off the wall you know craft cocktail and everyone gets excited about it but when or even with beer with all the i mean it's like never been a better time to, to be a beer drinker with all the craft craft beers so that fires people up mm -hmm. if the wine list comes then it's like everyone's like handing it around the table because they don't want totally. to be the one that chooses the wine and that's a bummer like you know i i yeah, you know, I get it. Like, I mean, wine, it's, you know, it's global. It's, there's all these words you can't pronounce. It's, it can be complicated, but it's just a bummer that it's like that. Like, I mean, cause at the end of the day, it's just something that you should be drinking and enjoying. Right. Like, so like, right. where's this, this, this heavy, this weightiness that I think is, uh, you know, is unnecessary. And, um, you know, you get over that, like if you're a wine person, like, you know, the wine, wine Twitter, for example, like they sort of like, they'll snark it at the demystification of wine and, and you know the wines and the dumbing down of wine but the thing is is like it's a spectrum right like you can still Absolutely. geek out on it you know and but there's a there's a distribution of people and and we're trying to speak to you know maybe the people who aren't so um you know geeky about wine and so anyway yeah i think for, yeah i think a lot of people really um have had some of their best wine experiences. If you, if you like go to Europe and you have like, you find, if you find that perfect little like trattoria or whatever, and mama has six things on the menu and they have a house wine. And you just, yep. you know, you're sort of unburdened from the, you know, between the, you know, picking between the Valpolitana and the whatever. And she just brings you a bottle of it. And it's delicious. And you have a great time and you enjoy it with your food and you enjoy your company and there's no must, no fuss. There's also not that there feels a little bit. And I don't know if you ever feel this cause you're a 
smarter about wine. But for the rest of us plebs, a lot of us just do the right hand method, which is, okay, well, I'm not gonna get the cheapest bottle and I'm not gonna get the most expensive bottle and I can't afford the $70 bottle. So something in the uh, easy to divide yeah. between four people range, you know, um, becomes the way that we choose wine. And yeah. um, it seems to me one of the benefits of um, this wine also is that I get to maybe try more wines in a dinner without having to drop $40 here, $40 there, $40 there. Yeah, that's one of the, the, the benefits of, of, of cans that I love. Like all, all of our wines are in 250 milliliter cans, which is, so you can think of it as it's a third of a bottle, or you can think of it that it's like two small glasses or one and two thirds glasses. Um, so, you know, it allows you to just either have a glass of wine and you don't have to worry about opening a bottle or like maybe you, you know, everyone likes what they like. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to drink white and your partner wants to drink red or you want to have bubbles while you're outside early. And like, I love like having bubbles, you know, but sometimes you just want a glass of bubbles and then you're making, you know, whatever pork or a steak or, and so anyway, like the serving size aspect, I guess that's what I mean when I say utility or usefulness. Yeah. Um, it's just handy. And, um, you know, the whole, you know, back to your example of people having a great um, experience in a simplistic sort of setting as it relates to wine, mm -hmm. um, it sort of takes the decision out of it. You know, especially like, like I've been married for a long time. So like a bottle of wine for my wife and I is perfect. We split it. It's all good. Right. Right. Like there's like 36 million single per people person households in the United States. Like, and they right. may not be home tomorrow, you know? So like, you know, I made the joke. It's like their decision is like fatty liver disease or like letting <laughs> stuff go to waste, you know? And have, you, have you considered that as a slogan maybe in for your, yeah. you know, what are your cho choices? Okay. Maybe not. Um, yep. Don't hire me for marketing. Um, but <laughs> That, that's absolutely true. And the problem also with rosé is like, hey, I would like a bottle of some fizzy rosé, which is one of my favorite things to drink in the summer. And what am I going to do with the rest of the bottle? Because that trick with the spoon in it, myth, right? So like yeah, keep the bubbles like, in? It's tough. It sort of depends on the bottle. But yeah, like with what, you know, yeah, bottles will last a couple of days in the fridge and, and it, but it all sort of depends. And it's just, but see, look what we're doing. We're ha we're like, we're having to figure it out. It's like, I don't want to, I got enough stuff to figure out. I don't want to have to like <laughs> figure this out. I thought this was supposed to be fun and enjoyable. Anyway, so, right. um, so yeah, but yeah, that is one of the beauties of cans. And, um, you know, so one of the ways that we're thinking about Groove is that, you know, I'd like to be, you know, for people, on their in their pantry, you know, sitting next to Topo Chico and like their favorite salty snack, and like they just reach in there and want to have a glass of wine, and there's no like thought about it, right? Like it's they don't have to think about it. Um, I also live in a BYOB town, so most people go out to dinner. If you're going out to dinner with like somebody who doesn't want to drink wine, you want to drink wine, or you want red, they want whatever, right? Yep. I, I mean. <laughs> Kind of a purse full of this stuff, yeah, right? And and I don't have to worry about wandering the streets with a half-open bottle of red that I didn't finish drinking or whatever. <laughs> I've developed a reputation in town. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
can I just go back to this Riet? Because what's in front of me right now yeah. smells so delicious. Um, I've added a little lemon juice along with the lemon zest. So right now we have butter, we have lemon zest, we have lemon, we have smoked fish. Mine is a smoked trout. Um, and I added a little teeny bit of um, cashmere chili powder, um, which you can see here. It's a very lovely, it's very spicy, but it adds a beautiful color and a little bit of, uh, I think it's vavavavunsky to this and mm. chives. Is there anything else to add to this? No, I was just going to hit it with a little smoked paprika. But it's mm. and yeah, basically any any sort of red powdery substance in your uh, <laughs> in your in your spice uh, rack, go with it. Right. But you describe, and then I, you're describing. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then I can take some and smear it on a piece of bread to see if it's worthy of my guests. Exactly. Maybe like my hit, depending on your fish, you might need to hit it with a little salt. Um, yeah. What are your feelings? Oh, what are your feelings Sorry, about I white? Went, I went to grab some bread. <laughs> what are your feelings about white pepper? I have an opinion, uh, so I wanted to know what yours is. My initial feeling was it stink. Like, yeah, like it just, it's a, the, the really powerful aroma that I found somewhat off putting. Yeah. And ever since then, I don't have it around very much, honestly. And I should probably revisit it because that was, you know, two decades ago and and I was pretty stupid two decades ago. So maybe, you know, there's something there's something, <laughs> something there. But I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm not a big white pepper guy. Yeah, I know. I think some people put white pepper in this. I don't really I don't tend to carry it in my have it in my house for whatever reason. But um I'm now going to do that thing that people on the Food Network are professionally trained to do, which is to eat on camera. So I hope everybody enjoys my rendition of Giada De Laurentiis eating. Ready? A lot of nodding. Mm -hmm. The eye roll. Mm. Mm. A lot of that noise has to happen when you're eating on camera. Really hoping that the Apple AirPods don't pick up the chewing that I can hear within my ear. Yeah, I can hear that too. <laughs> but what I can tell anybody who's out there. <laughs> Thanks. What I can tell you is this is delicious. And I would eat it right up. And you can make this in advance, like a day in advance, correct? Yeah. Put some saran wrap tight on top of it and leave it mm -hmm. in the fridge for a couple of days. I mean, you can even freeze it if you want. Oh, you it's perfect. A batch and put it like a little ramekins and wrap it up tight. and. Um, It'll be good to go. So it's perfect for summer because it's also light, but it like really delivers on a meaty um, flavor. So like people, like, you know, it's a really like more than a step up from um, potato chips. Um, before we get on to making our next um, treat, which I hope will be, <clears throat> excuse me, these a prosciutto and salad roll-ups. In other words, the best way to eat salad is with meat. Um, <laughs> so you, um, live in the Sonoma Valley or in Sonoma County, right? You guys have had a really rough go of it. What is it? I mean, with drought and fire, um, is this yep. year looking any better or different for you all? No, the, the, the drought's pretty gnarly right now. I, like, um, 
I don't know the technical term, the, 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 the fuel and the water levels are, are pretty much historical uh, worst. There might be one year that's the outlier that's worse than this year. Um, so everyone's super nervous, like for good reason, um, because the kindling and the opportunity is there. Now, um, you need a catalyst, right? Like last year, what happened with the kicked off everything was this crazy um, dry lightning storm. I grew up in Kansas, so I'm used to big thunderstorms and tornadoes and all that stuff. But this was like the craziest electrical storm you've ever seen, but there was no rain, zero. It was just all lightning. So that's what kicked everything. So that was a very random sort of low probability event. Um, so just because it's dry doesn't mean that all these bad things are going to happen. But what it does mean is the table's set. Um, so yeah, people are you know are nervous for 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 good reason. Um, you know, because last year was extremely difficult statewide. So um, are people are vintners doing anything different? Is there um, are are there new approaches to like? existing in this climate as it is now because it's not going away anytime soon it's up to nature i guess yeah because apparently raking the forests raking the forests really isn't right. going to make a big difference yeah. even though some have suggested it you can't find any rakes in sonoma county they're all gone i'm just <laughs> there's a there's a run on them mm. um that, that's a that's a big topic and like it probably starts with the fact that wine is an agricultural product Right. So, you know, it starts outside and it, and even in a, a normal scenario, there are always challenges associated with with farming. Um, mm -hmm. So when you layer on the, the weather thing um, uh, and then the fire situation, it, you know, it obviously gets extremely difficult very quickly. Um, you know, longer term, the, the question is, you know, we're not quite sure how the Bay Area is going to be affected because of our proximity to the ocean. Mm. Um, so. Perhaps the effects won't be in terms of average temperature won't be as great, but extreme events will be long term. Do you plant different different grapes because different grapes grow uh, better in different climates? So do we start planting? So, for example, like Napa is known, you know, for Cabernet and, and Chardonnay and, um, you know, so do you get away from that and plant hot varietal like Portuguese grapes like Tariga Nacional or mm. Uh, Tempranillo from uh, Rioja and, and so on and so forth. You know, but those are you know, those are generational decisions because you don't just you know throw some vines in the ground and you're ready to go in the next couple of years. It's, you know, it mm -hmm. takes you know several years to produce. Um, so the farming conversation is a is a, is a large one. Um, from a winemaking perspective, you know, last year the conversation was around smoke taint. Um, I'll try to like not get too in the weeds on this, but it's what you think it is. Just think of it like barbecue, right? Like the grapes are outside, they're on the vine, there are um, uh, wildfires creating all the smoke. So the, the grapes are bathed in smoke and uh, depending upon how long that occurs for or how close the fire is, you go, you make wine from the grapes, the wine can taste like smoke. Right. That's right. a simple way, simple way to look at it. So for a winemaker, it's, you know, usually you're trying to pick at, um, you know, what you deem to be optimal ripeness for the for the the wine you're trying to make, which you know can be ripeness, it can be acidity. Um, so there's these are sort of the decisions that are running through your brain. So last year the fires were happening right around harvest, before harvest, and during harvest. 
So do you pick early to get it off the vine, but it's not ripe? So you're going to have a green wine or really acidic wine. Mm. You can test for smoke taint, and this is where it gets a little bit weedy. Um, but it doesn't always show up because sometimes these smoke particles bind with sugar molecules, and the sugar mo and that, that doesn't break down until fermentation. Oh wow! So if you test if you test the juice, it won't show up. But you make wine out of it these molecules break down and then the smoke markers show up in the wine three months later or whatever. Um, and then last year, the entire state of California was testing for smoke. There's one lab, ETS in Napa. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So they got backed up. But if you were testing early, maybe you got the results back in a week or four days, whatever. But after that, it was weeks. It was six weeks, eight weeks. Um, that's too long. Like, because if you wait six weeks, the fruit's too ripe and you can't, it's over. You can't make wine out of it. So real-time decisions, you had to be made with incomplete information. Um, so anyway, I'm probably going a little bit too deep, but- um, No, I think so it's, it's very, really important to know. It's very difficult real-time decision-making. Um, what do you do? And, and, you know, so some, you know, the, the easy decisions were the, the vineyards that were super smoked, so there was nothing to decide on. It's like the fruit, the fruit's gone. Right. Um, the marginal ones were more difficult because then it's like, what's your relationship with the farmer? Does the farmer have crop insurance? You know, can they afford it? Um, I mean, crop insurance is, a, is affordable technically, but a lot mm -hmm. of these people are families that are, you know, don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have corporate backing and, and things like that. So, um, so anyway, it was tough. So a lot of people last year made rosé. Mm -hmm. um, and, and why that is, is, you know, when yeah. you make red wine, red wine sits on the skins and the skins have a lot of these, these smoke par particles. Rosé, you just, you put it right in a press, you squeeze it, the juice falls out, you, you go ferment the juice and the skins get thrown away. So there's less risk of smoke taint. Um, That's amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize that the smoke taint wouldn't make it through the squeezing process, the pressing process. That's interesting. It may, but a lot of guys would like rent, they, so they, they rinse everything off. So like the, the, the fruit came in, they hose everything off. Some people drain the tank uh, after the first day and like put it back in. So like everyone was trying to figure it out. And the thing is, is there's, you know, the Australians are, are way ahead of us on, on smoke in terms of wine and smoke because they've had mm -hmm. to deal with these things for longer than we have. All right. Um, so, but everyone's got their anecdotal story. Everyone like, well, this happened this year and it was fine. And this happened that year and we weren't even close to the fire and our, and our wine tastes like smoke. So there's all these anecdotal stories that are, that are contradictory, but we don't have a deep data set because we don't have all these occurrences that have been logged over time. So we're trying to do the best we can and, and make decisions in real time. And it's, uh, it's challenging. Really. Um, it's very complex. And it, I mean, it's really a spur of the moment decisions that have to be made. And, and a lot of it seems up to chance in its way. I mean, obviously the climate is up to chance, but how it turns out in the end is up to chance. So uh, I only got, wish you guys the best for this coming year um, and hope for the best. Um, I, got heavy, on, I got heavy all of a sudden. Sorry about no, that. No, no, it got heavy, but I think <laughs> un understanding, understanding like it's it down to like the, the, that, smoke binds with um, smoke molecules bind with sugar molecules and that's going to show up in the fermentation is a really you know now we can all be wine geeks see um this is how it happens you slowly turn us all into wine geeks yeah, and that's not a bad thing 
I'd rather have a wine geek than a wine snob. Um, but we need to feed our wine geeks. So what okay. are we going to do? I'd love to make this um, these roll-ups, um, which okay. are, it, could talk me through what we're going to be making and what we're going to be drinking with it. She said gleefully, because so, it's 540 another, where I am. Another super <laughs> simple. So, I mean, so these are going to be, um, I use arugula. I suppose you could use any salad green if, if arugula is too pep peppery for you, mescaline or whatever you like. But I use arugula and just a simple light dressing of uh, lemon juice and olive oil um, with some grated Parmesan or Grano, uh, Grano Padano or um, I have Texano Romano today. Oh, I love that. Um, um, and so you just basically make a quick, simple salad with the arugula. And then the hardest part of this recipe is peeling all the, uh, <laughs> the, the thinly sliced prosciutto off the, uh, the wax paper without ripping it too much. Yeah. That's, the, that's the, the heavy lifting here. And then you, yeah, you just take a bunch of prosciutto and you, you know, put it at the end of, uh, or sorry, a bunch of arugula and put it at the end of the, uh, the prosciutto and then roll it up. Um, and and so then, then stuff it then, in, stuff it in your face, and try not to look like a cow. Yeah, put it in your pie hole. <laughs> Is that a Kansas term, pie hole? I don't know. It's kind of low rent, though, isn't it? I know, but I like it um, because I like pie. And so, what better thing to call your mouth than a pie hole? Um, <laughs> you know, it's like taking back words like bitch. Let's take back the word pie hole. It's a nice thing eat pie. Um, so I'm going to squeeze a little lemon on mine and make just sort of a very light sort of eyeballed version of salad dressing, which is probably the best way to do it with a little olive oil, uh, a drizzle of olive oil. Um, what do you think about salt in here? If I have the Parmesan cheese, maybe, and the prosciutto, maybe I don't need the salt. Yeah. I mean, Parmesan is a salty cheese and yeah, the cured, the cured ham. So that comes down to like, are you a salt fiend? I think, and what's your personal preference? But I think your hey, point about the hey, I barely salt know you. You don't ask if I'm a salt fiend or not. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's personal. What <laughs> about the olive oil is a good one though. I think uh, I think here it's um, a little bit dry is better than a little bit wet on your oh, that's with your your dressing situation. Especially if you eat like I do, which is I like to get most of the food onto my shirt before it goes into my mouth. Um, I'm delicately tossing this with a fork as if I wouldn't have used my hands if I weren't um, being videoed right now. I'm going to use my hands. Is that, is that, that's too late. I'm doing it. <laughs> it's much easier if you're using your hands. And now oh, no. I'm going, <laughs> your mother taught you to wash your hands, didn't she? Yeah. Exactly. That's and is that, thing I've, I've gotten comfortable with over the last 12 months for sure. Is your, yes, washing hands, yeah. I, that yeah, was actually one know. of the things about the whole COVID event um, that we are still in, the one pandemic event that got to me, which is people like giving directions on how to wash your hands, which sort of stunned me because like, what was everyone doing beforehand? <laughs> all, all these nice people I had interactions with, they didn't know to wash their hands with soap and water when they came in the house? when they used the bathroom, when they, after they went to the grocery, really, this was a, so maybe, maybe the pandemic has had some good, uh, good positives. 
Um, so I, I think we're definitely going to have some people who were not germaphobes that have been converted to being germaphobes. Welcome, um, welcome all be, to my- I might be one of them, yeah. <laughs> oh, you pretty uh, relaxed? Well, I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I was a savage, but I'm thinking about- <laughs> I didn't I'm mean to imply. Now that I, that I wasn't thinking about this more. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so anyway, you just kind of- So like, I, oh, let's see, okay, that's good. And then how do we, show us how we roll this up. We're gonna, uh, I have a piece of, for, for those of you listening at home without pictures, um, I have a piece of uh, nice, it's a uh, prosciutto laid on a plate and I'm about to take some of this. Let me see what he's doing. Show me All here. Right. Can you see me here? Yeah, so this is my one-handed version. So yeah, there's, it's pretty rough. That's it. I mean, you just roll it up. So the idea is you put this on a platter for your guests and for them, they can just like take it and it's just like a couple of bites. It's neat. It's here we it's go. Green. They, they can feel good about themselves. That's right. And they're eating a beautiful salty slice of ham with, and what am I drinking with this beautiful ham? So do you have the light red wine? I have a rosé and I have a Pinot Noir and that's what I have with me here. Then oh, I say, let's do the rosé. Oh no, I have a light red wine. It's right here. One moment, please. Yeah, do that guy. This one's killer with uh, Parmesan cheese. Okay, so I'm using the you light know. red wine here. A bright, fruity, crushable. What does crushable mean? Yeah, so this guy. Can you all hear this? That's nice, right? Well a little ASMR for our friends out there who are into that. Um, it is a very beautiful light wine. A slight yeah, so effervescent. Um, it's just meant to be a very drinkable, light, refreshing, like I, I don't want to tell people how to drink, but if, if I want to tell people how to drink, I'd like chill this guy. Mm -hmm. or if you're a red wine, per, red wine person and you feel weird drinking like red wine at four o'clock and the sun's out and it's hot out, like this is your, this is your wine. Um, it's the majority of the blend is from the Mission grape, which is uh, fairly rare in California now, but it was one of the first uh, grapes brought to the state by the Spanish missionaries. Um, in the Canary Islands, it's Lisa and uh, Prieto, and in um, South America and Chile, uh, mostly it's uh, Pais. Um, so it makes a really light colored, red fruited, um, but it has like some tannic, some, some backbone, like some structure to it on the finish. So. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is, uh, if you want to well, take some Parmesan or some, you know, any sort of like salty, hard cheese, mm -hmm. this guy, it's, it's friendly with this guy. Well, um, crush it, I, I guess is the appropriate. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that is eminently drinkable, as we say. Oh, that'd be lovely on a summer's day. Absolutely. And I would actually put one of these prosciutto pieces into my mouth and eat it right now just to see how nicely it pairs. But if I do so, I will make an, I have not been trained to eat prosciutto on camera. So I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see very easily making a hoard of these things. They're actually, they're, I mean, not actually, but they're extraordinarily pretty too. So they'll present very nicely and it will look like you have spent a lot of time preparing for your guests when in honesty, you were watching probably mayor of East town on your computer and happily <laughs> rolling up some delicious meat salad. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, when, but you can also <laughs> say that these are for your your uh, your keto friends, you know, or your your you know the the carb phobes. Um, no bread. Um, so there's so all kinds of excuses you can make to make yourself feel better about right putting these in your putting these in your face. <laughs> I, I I rarely have to make excuses for putting things in my face, but speaking of bread, so we've given you this keto folks. Um, and of course you could serve the Riet really nice. They go at Riet. If we're just going back to the Riet, if you're, you have your keto friends, if they're willing to eat, um, cucumbers, this would be very, very nice on a cucumber or a piece of endive or endive, depending on how you, whether, how, if you're being pretentious like I am, or if you're just going to be a normal person. Yeah, I'm from Kansas. I think we probably say endive. <laughs> endive. You probably yeah, Belgium endive. Um, next up, you do something really genius with carrot tops. Um, not the comedian. A genius thing to do with him would have been to ignore him. But um, do you remember Carrot Top, the comedian? Have you seen that guy in the last two years? Yes, I have. And that was that, a. He's, he's just eating steroids for lunch. It looks like. I mean, that guy is like. Yeah. Is he built? Yeah, it looks like um, someone shoved an air hose in his ear, and it's, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, anyway. I'd be sure and check that out. Um, you make him sound so like I really don't want to look at him. Anyway, carrot tops often arrive um, if you shop at a nice store that you can often see check just how fresh your carrots are by seeing by um, the green, bright, crisp leaves of the um, tops of the carrots, which we tend to rip off and throw out. But you're saying no, 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 no. Is that true? Yeah, so um, this was inspired by, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I used to live in, in Houston. We moved out here in 2018. And a, a local rest, Italian restaurant in our neighborhood, um, shout out Cultivare in the Houston Heights. Um, one, after a long day um, of really gnarly plumbing problems in our house that, um, don't go, almost don't fare well with food. Almost brought my wife and I to our knees. Um, we went to Cultivare for dinner after a couple of long showers. Um, <laughs> and we had this plate of uh, uh, focaccia with carrot top pesto and a couple other just really light appetizers um, and, a, and a bright Riesling. And um, when we left, like, it was this weird, like, I mean, the food and the whole thing was just a restorative, restorative experience. Like we went from being just beaten down humans to walking out of there feeling like restored, like we're literally physically restored, like just back to life. Um, and so that's where the, the carrot top uh, pesto inspiration came from. So you know, I'm a huge pesto fan. I just love the like fresh, um, the freshness of the basil and you know, I love garlic as well. And uh, it's good on, as far as I'm concerned, it's good on everything. Um, so, so is, so this is a bit, I, I made some, uh, here's some I prepared earlier, um, a delightful green pesto. Um, I made mine with basil. The Whole Foods I went to, which I have a certain sort of beef with, but we'll talk about that another time, um, uh, started cutting off, <laughs> off the tops of the carrots. 
so they stack better for them. So yeah. I didn't get to use carrot tops for mine. Instead, used a trick that I learned in cooking school, which was to add parsley to a basil pesto because it helps keep the green and it helps take just a little teeny edge of basil off and gives the flavoring a little balance. What does the carrot top, so I haven't had carrot top pesto yet. Um, what does it taste like? How is it different? Let me, let me taste this guy. I mean, if you didn't know it was that it was in there, you'd probably just think it was a more of an herby sort of um, astringent is more of a tactile description. It's just more of like an herby, uh, savory uh, angle, and it, but it's all about ratio too, right? Like I didn't put the I didn't put the whole uh, I kind of peeled them off like uh, like thyme. Mm -hmm. like the finer leaves off the main sort of stem of the of the carrot so mm -hmm. um it's just kind of a subtle sort of like herbaceousness um i don't think it has to like completely change the uh the mix but you know if i put the whole bunch in there there would probably be a more sort of uh vocal component so if and so in the same way that i will strip a piece of kale off its stalk you're going to take, do a little bit of the ripping off of the top of yep. the carrot stalk, right? Yeah, um, these are pretty, these are pretty large. I just pulled them out of the compost. These are pretty large. <laughs> so rather than put, rather than put that whole like real big thick guy, I just, I'll take the little ones, which I think have a little bit more of a delicate, delicate flavor. Just like you would do cilantro, I suppose. Like, you know, you just take off the leaves and, um, but I mean, I don't even know if you have to think about it that much. Like if you just want to like take a, take a few stocks and then chuck them in the food processor, like, you know, there you go. Yeah. There's um, also, um, do you use pine nuts in your pesto? I, yeah, I, I tend not to. I'm a, I'm a total cheapskate. So it, yeah, it has nothing. It has everything to do with the economics. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. Just sort of like a textural thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like another story, like, um, um, my wife and I, on our honeymoon, we were in uh, Italy for a while, and we had walnut pesto and uh, this, uh, God, what was it? I think it was Cortona oh. so long ago. Anyway, it was amazing. <laughs> like, and so I think that was like what like shot me off on, walnut, on walnuts with pesto. Uh, but now I'm just a, 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 a cheapskate, so I use walnuts. Yeah, I use almonds for a similar reason, because I almost always have almonds in my refrigerator, in my um, pantry. They add just that sort of kind of butteriness and a little bit of texture, right? And and aren't too. Um, I actually don't like the. Uh, don't write me letters, but I'm not a big pinoli fan. And it's not just because they're super expensive. It's because I tend to think that it's hard to find one that isn't like burnt or too brown or whatever. So I just sort of stay away from them. Um, now, do you do you do you splurge for Mar Marcona almonds? Well, only, I mean, like if you were coming to my house, I might buy them, you know, or or if I happen to go to Costco and they have the mega container of them yeah, yeah. and then I'm not like dividing by how much it is a pound, then yeah. But when I'm at Whole Foods, I tend to be like either like the Queen of England needs to be coming over or somebody really like if you come to my house and I'm feeding you Marcona almonds, I like you. It's a yeah, sign of my love. <laughs> Those are, those are hard to resist. Those are really hard to resist. And they used to make them at Whole Foods with rosemary and salt. And you know what? I'm going to do it myself. Um, 
so you make this pesto and how should I serve it so that my guests can eat it? And I, most people I think are used to tossing it with some hot pasta. What am I gonna do with it here to make it nice for my guests? And should I perhaps by any chance try a rosé with it? What am I, what should I pair with that? Or so the Pinot Noir? The good thing about you know these, these wines but also like these dishes is, except maybe the Rias, I would probably stick with the rosés and the whites. You know, because, you know, that does have a fishy sort of situation. Mm -hmm. I'd probably stay away from reds. Um, but the pesto, because I just put it in a bowl. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, it's just, and then you find your favorite delivery device to, you know, to put in your mouth. So, like, bread. You know, I've got some, I've got the, car the carrots from the carrot top. So I'm going to chop those up. Um, I'm going to put out some radishes with salted butter and thyme leaves. Yeah. Um, red pepper. So just like a crudite, whatever your, your favorite vegetables are. Uh -huh. So, you know, that with, you know, the bread can go with the riettes, the bread can go with the pesto. Um, and, you know, that's, it's just super versatile. Like we should get rid of ketchup and just have pesto and I would be uh, the best pesto on a turkey sandwich, pesto on a, I don't care, a stick. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, and, yeah. and chimichurri, <laughs> like, you know, any sort of like green, any sort of green herby situation with garlic and olive oil and like Bob's your uncle, you know? So Yeah. And Bob actually isn't my uncle, but I have a good friend named Bob and, and, and he'd be worth it. Um, I'd buy Marcona almonds for Bob. Um, I have take, made just a smear, not even an attractive restaurant style smear on my plate and put chilieni, the little cherry um, size mozzarella sticks and little uh, cherry tomatoes with little skewers and people can do a little smear and then pop it into their mouth. So they have a nice uh, mozzarella with some uh, pesto on it. Um, that sounds delicious. Mr. Nate Miles, we are running out of time here. We have just a few more seconds before we have to well, before I have to sit down at the table and probably shovel most of this in, well, I mean, politely snack on this <laughs> delicious food. But before we go, I think I would like to toast you with the rosé, which I have yet to try. And it seems extraordinarily festive. Um, there's a very beautiful can too. Um, I kind of want to match my outfits to them. This has some lovely effervescence. i hold it up to the camera so everyone can see. And the yeah, love so most of those bubbles you, you most of those bubbles you see out of the gate. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. Did you open the the sale or the sparkling, the kindred spirit or the joyride? I opened the kindred spirit. All right, so that one is that one is uh, is sparkling. So that's why. Cheers! Thank you so much for being my guest here on the Secret Life of Cookies podcast, and for having really actually my first savory podcast. Um, usually, I tend to cook desserts, but today, in honor of these delicious wines. Um, it's been a pleasure to make some delicious uh, summer entertaining treats with you. Um, I look forward to seeing you someday in Sonoma County and seeing where it all happens. Uh, thank you so much for great. coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And thanks for making an exception for uh, savory food. <laughs> <laughs> for you and this wine, sure. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. As ever, I appreciate your thoughts and support. Reach out on Twitter and remember the plea of all your favorite podcasters. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've got to do what we can to get the algorithm to love us. I love you. For recipes, go to marissarothkopf.com.